This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 377. This is not a spray and pray approach. We are not buckshotting. We are coming in and we are choosing a different demographic and we are targeting that demographic based on reports, based on when we know behaviorally they're listening. And we know that that's what makes like Facebook so powerful is how much you can niche it. You can actually do some really good niching with radio, which I don't think a lot of people understand. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What is going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, coming at you with my co-host, David Green. What's up, man? How you doing? Just another rainy day in California. Some of that uh, Seattle weather that you knew so well has moved down here. But I'm doing good. <laughs> We're sheltered in place. We're still selling houses. We're doing a lot virtually. The Bay Area market was so hot that this like Corona thing really, it didn't stop it, but it slowed it down enough that people have a chance to actually get a house where before they didn't even have one. So we're taking advantage of that. Nice. Nice, man. Well, very cool. Yeah. I closed on a flip last week or I bought, I bought a property last week. The one that we've talked about on the show last few yep. weeks, I did actually buy that. I'm actually pumped about it. I'm, I'm excited. I saw that on your Facebook page, right? Yeah. 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 I think I shared it there. Yeah, so I'm still buying and put it on Instagram and put it kind of everywhere because I like to talk about my successes. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is this though, like, and just for those people wanting to understand the mindset behind it, like I still went through with it, even though the market's kind of crazy right now, because I believe we have enough profit, like over 100K in profit to justify, like even now, I think we can make that. If we don't, if the market continues to get tough, uh, I can about like we talked about about break even ish uh and the fact that i make good income and i've got good like passive income i can uh, handle the about break even ish even if it means like we have a big repair i can handle that so in my situation i think it's okay so worst case i end up renting it for a while and sell it with the better tax benefits later on as a long-term rental so Anyway, I just want to let people know I'm like, we're still working. We're still doing this thing. It's just a little bit different world. So on that note, uh, today's episode, we just recorded it like this week that this episode comes out because uh, we want these like, you know, fresh interviews coming out that uh, we can talk about what other people are doing during this situation. But this end ended up being such an amazing interview. Uh, like, because we talked about the COVID stuff and how, uh, our guest, his name is, uh, Chris Arnold, like what they're doing. I mean, they're buying a hundred plus houses a year, their company, uh, while he lives in a different country. Like, they, I mean, if you're talking about, you can't invest locally, uh, you're, you, you, you got to invest long distance. Like this guy is like the master of it. So we talk about how he does that, but also like how they're doing that in spite of the fact that they have the shelter in place things going on and they can't go visit property. So they're doing these virtual open houses and all this cool stuff. I mean, he even tells a story of one of their recent deals that they just closed on. They made like 23 grand. They never entered the seller's house and the end buyer was a wholesale deal. End buyer never entered the house. So he talked about all that. He talked about his number one lead source that you probably have never considered. You guys, I'll give you a hint. <laughs> radio. It's so cool. His mm-hmm. conversation about how radio works and kind of how he manages his business, like the different business philosophies. In other words, like which business books like guide his like actual management of his team, uh, especially from a distance. So that's all really, really good stuff today and more. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. All right. And with that, we're just about to get to the show, but you know what? I forgot to do something. What did I forget, David? The quick Quick tip. All right. So here's a quick tip. Today, we have been putting together resources on this whole COVID-19 thing at biggerpockets.com slash COVID, just C-O-V-I-D. Basically, everything that we find, like things that we think will be helpful for you as a, an investor, we're putting there. So there's lists of like state-by-state stuff. There's what a huge list of what different banks' policies are, uh, a lot about the CARES Act and, and more. So really, we just wanted one place where like everybody could go in the w- world of real estate investing to get up-to-date information about this whole uh, COVID-19 thing. So biggerpockets.com slash COVID, totally free. Go check it out later. And with that, now we can get to today's interview with Chris Arnold. All right, Chris, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. Good to have you here. Man, glad to be here. Appreciate the invite. Yeah. Did, did I read here that you are in Mexico or is that New Mexico? <laughs> no, that is actually the country of Mexico. So I live in Tulum, uh, which is about an hour and a half south of Cancun on the Caribbean side. Been here now almost three years, full time. Wow. Okay. So why are you. Why are you in Mexico and investing in real estate? I'm assuming you're investing in real estate because that's why you're here today. Uh, and uh, I mean, how did that, how that, I, I will get into your story, but I want, how do you get in Mexico? Like that's a, that's a unique thing. Yeah. And so we, we operate our business uh, out of Dallas, Fort Worth. So that's our main hub. Um, but we were really intentional starting about six years ago to move everything to a virtual model. And what I mean by that is literally no brick and mortar and the ability to have staff east to west coast all over the state. Because for me, that gave me the ultimate freedom, which I believe is freedom of location, right? 
the reality is, you know, what I want to live in Dallas forever uh, and would I want to be locked in there because my business was there? No. I'm a beach guy. I want to finish my day and go paddleboarding. I want to do like what I did yesterday, spear fishing with some buddies out in the ocean. And so for me, it's always been about lifestyle. So people are like, why are you in Mexico? Because I can't think of a better place uh, to be than the Caribbean for my personality right now. So absolutely love it. That's cool. Well, th this is why I'm excited about doing this show because a lot of people live in areas of the US or around the world and they want to get into real estate investing. They want to find deals, but they think, oh, there's nothing in my market. I can't do it here. And you're like, uh, I'm in Mexico and I'm invested in Dallas. So like, we're going to talk about how you do that. I want to go real in depth on the how to today. Uh, but before we get to the how to, let's go about uh, like you. I mean, what's your story? How'd you get into real estate to begin with? Yeah. So um, I actually am a seminary graduate. So I got a master's in theology and people's first question a lot of times like, shouldn't you be like a pastor or like a missionary? <laughs> That's not me. I just really didn't fit that conventional role. And one of the reasons I went to seminary was, man, I'm the kid that got in a ton of trouble in high school, like arrested the whole like nine yards. And so I went to seminary to really kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so once I finished up grad school, I remember sitting at Chick-fil-A, eating a chicken biscuit, looking up on the mural that Kathy Truett had created in the Chick-fil-A's, and it had pictures of how they were utilizing the business to impact the world. And that was the first time it ever really registered as a seed in my mind that what if I utilize business as a vehicle to impact the world the way that I want to, because my heart and my passion is people. And so I kind of looked around and I'm like, what would be a great vehicle? And the one that made sense to me at that time, again, early 20s, right? Don't really know a lot about business, not much about the world at that point, but real estate made sense as a great vehicle. And that was the reason I took that first step to cross that line to become a real estate uh, investor. Yeah, that's cool, man. All right. So what did the first deal look like? <laughs> My first investment deal. That's really funny. So I actually remember the street address. It was on Calmia. And at this time, I was already a real estate uh, broker. I had a team uh, doing all that, but I hadn't got onto the investment side. And one of my best friends understood the construction. I understood the real estate side. And I remember eating a pizza together and talking about how we should do a deal. And it was probably about two weeks later, a deal came across my table of a guy that wanted to sell us his house so that we could fix and flip. And I remember we actually took him out to lunch. It was a Mexican restaurant in Dallas. And we were negotiating like while we were eating. And so if my business partner and I would have to make a decision that we needed to talk privately, we would get up and excuse ourselves and go to the bathroom. <laughs> and then we'd come back, we'd talk some more. And I That's remember awesome. just excusing ourselves like four times to go chat it up on how we wanted to close this deal. And we ended up closing it. Again, definitely not a scalable model for closing deals, but that's always the funny part of how you did your first deal. So it was over chips and salsa at a Mexican restaurant. I think all deals should be done over chips and salsa at a Mexican <laughs> restaurant. That should just be a law in real estate. I might have to contact our, our president and see if he'll institute that. So, all right. So what was this deal? I mean, like it was a fix and flip. But what was it at? What was it like? Where was it at? And how'd you do on it? Yeah, it was actually probably two miles away from my office in Arlington. I think we rehab. If I go back, it was like what I would call mid uh, rehab. So we probably put somewhere around twenty five uh, grand in that property. And I remember like 
I had a buddy that was kind of coaching me through the process and he'd be like, well, did you get insurance? And I was like, oh, I need insurance on that. I mean, you just <laughs> like, it's a ready fire aim approach <laughs> on your first deal. Like just yes, get off is. the bench and do one. And so we definitely made some mistakes. Um, but I do remember on that first deal, we cleared $21,000 as profit. And the light bulb went off for us. That was like, that was fun. Let's rinse, repeat, and do it again. Yeah. You know, you make a really good point there. This idea of like, what, like making money, especially on your first deal. Now, not everyone makes money on their first deal, but when you get like that big check, like that's such a huge motivator to keep going. It's kind of like if you're like, you know, getting into fitness and you're like, you know, if you were to work out every week and then you keep going on a scale and every week you're the exact same weight, it's just demoralizing, right? And like, sometimes it, it might take, month, two months, six months, 12 months, two years to get that first big check. But man, isn't that just like amazing that that feeling of like, oh, I can do this. This is like a legit thing. Like I'm moving forward. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, it's I love so that. important for people to get that first deal, to yeah. not give up, to keep after it. Right. Because we know that once your mind is expanded, right, it's it doesn't go back to the original position that it was in. Right. You see things in a different way. And that first deal just catapults the brain and just the spirit to get out there and do more. And so that's why I think it's so valuable to do your first deal. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was scared because uh, <laughs> the I I can actually remember that feeling. And, you know, we have bought so many houses now. You lose any type of nervousness with owning a property. But I remember the fear of actually being on the line and owning a property. And what happens if we couldn't move it? And I can re actually remember the like physical experience I had of the fear of like, oh my gosh, we're about to buy this house and we're about to own it. And then when you get to the other side of it and it's always the same, you look back and you reflect and you realize, man, that wasn't as difficult and hard as I thought that it was going to be. Um, and that's where you go, man, I can do this again. Because what we kind of pitch up in our mind as like how difficult we think something's going to be, isn't that the value of getting out? doing something, making it happen because you reflect back and go, man, I made that a lot more yeah. difficult in my mind, which is probably what holds most of us back. I know we're going to talk about running a virtual company. You know, that plays into a lot of the mind holding us back. It's usually us as the limitation. Yeah, that's so true. Hey, I, I want to go and, and kind of get an idea of your business from where it's at today. So then we can work backwards to, to figure out how you got there. Uh, so why don't we just get like a quick, like, you know, what, yeah, what's your business doing today? What is it like right now? What's your team set up like? How many deals are you doing? That kind of thing right now. Yeah, so where my business is at right now is from day one coming in, you know, I really read some books that really pushed my thinking around how businesses should be run. Things like, you know, Michael Gerber, the E-Myth, this whole idea of building a business that would run without you, that would bother you potentially as little as possible. So you could be on it, not in it. So we currently have six directors in our company, which is fundamentally our leadership team, and they run the day-to-day. -day. So that's all the way from a COO down to director of sales to disposition to marketing, et cetera. So the best way I could say it is our org chart is built out and we have everyone on the bus in the right seat. And so that's actually freed me up to really not have to be in the day to day as much. And transactionally right now we close around 125 properties per year. 
And that's fantastic considering that I'm not doing any production. That's fully on my team handling all of that, which is great. Yeah, that's crazy. And are most of of those deals like flips or wholesales or rentals or vacation rentals? What are those things? Yeah, it's mostly fix and flip and wholesale. So it's a, it's a kind of a combination. So our strategy has always been, we don't want to be pigeonholed into any particular exit strategy. We want to look at each deal. I mean, we actually have a committee of four people in my company that will analyze each deal and go, should we do a fix and flip on this? Would this be better to actually send out to our cash buyers list and and maybe get a check that way? And so that's how we look at our business is making sure we have exit strategies, even retail right? We list properties because I'm a brokerage. So it's all about being solution oriented and not getting stuck into any one way of doing it so that you can make sure you leverage every deal and get the most revenue possible by having several tools in your belt. Mm, that's smart. That's very smart. So a deal comes in and we'll talk about how you get those in a minute. I want, I, I'm really fascinated by how, what you're doing for marketing. Well, I read in the notes here, but uh, before we get there, like, how do you decide? What, what does this committee decide? I want like, cause there's a lot of people listening right now going, I'm not sure if I should wholesale a deal or flip it or keep it as a rental. So how do you decide which is the avenue you want to go? Yeah. So there are four people that make up that committee. And so they will meet once a week. Um, That meeting can last anywhere from an hour to two hours. So just giving you the actual process, right, for how to do this. And in that meeting, they all kind of have a different perspective. One is our director of disposition. So her understanding is moving a deal, right? It's particularly with cash buyers, that whole mindset. You also have my business partner in there who's really savvy at just doing deals. He's a real deal guy, very tactical. We have my COO and my director of sales. So you have a combination of personalities in that meeting and they'll literally pull up a deal. They'll start running numbers. And what it is, is it should be a debate. So any good meeting is built on debate. And so consensus actually wins in that meeting. And so that's how they drive decisions. And, you know, I'd say a good chunk of the time, they usually come to an anon, uh, like, everyone's in agreement on what to do with that deal, but sometimes they get stuck. But the whole deal is that we're creating debate with inside the team to make sure that we are making the best decision with every property. And isn't that amazing? I mean, that's an hour to hour and a half meeting. Can you imagine how much revenue that drives by making sure that every deal goes into the right bucket? That is an income producing meeting, in my opinion, really important. Yeah, that's cool. So, so leads come in and then you got to put them in a certain bucket. There's going to be this bucket, there's going to be this bucket and everyone's deciding that. Now, is it primarily a financial question? Like we're going to make more as a wholesaler or the flip? I mean, because generally you're going to make more as a flip usually, but I mean, maybe not, but usually, you know, like the flippers make the most amount of money. And by the, by the way, if people are confused when I say wholesale, all I'm talking about is there's a, a whole side of real estate, which people go out there and find good deals. And then using a, a couple different methods, we're not going to go into detail right now because some are, you know, state specific and how you can do this. But basically you get that deal to somebody else who ends up doing the actual fix and flip or keeps it as a rental and you make almost like a fee in between. Is that a good way of kind of explaining wholesaling? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I wouldn't get caught into any particular way. The overall mindset is, is being an investor and growing your tools. I mean, you might yeah. do owner financing, right? You might do different fix and flip, you name it, retail. But yeah, in a, in a big sense of what you're saying with wholesaling, that's an easy definition, right? Cool. Absolutely. So- yeah. So you, you decide which one you're going to make. And so, yeah. Are you thinking more like, yeah, is it financial or is it, Hey, how much work do we have? Where our contractors lined up? I mean, is it kind of everything? It's, it's a mixture. I mean, that's what the debate becomes. If it was black and white, 
then you wouldn't need debate. Yeah. Um, there's graves because you get preferences like how much money do we have out on the streets right now on our fix and flip, right? So there's that side of the risk. There's also risk when it comes into days on market or maybe it's a deal that has a very uh, high ARV, right? So then you go, well, do I want to assume that type of risk right now? So there's a lot of variables I feel like come into play. And so that's why my opinion that it takes a group of people to make that decision because month to month can change season to season. Let me tell you this. If you were to run and sit in our financial committee right now, with everything that's going on, right, yeah. in our environment, that meaning is much different than it was two to three months ago on determining whether or not we're going to buy a house or not. Does that make sense? So it allows you to be flexible with whatever direction the current market and the environment is going. That's what I like about it. It's very nimble. It can shift. So on that note, like what are you seeing in this COVID post you know, like our, I don't even, what are we going to call this time? Like the world needs to like come up with a name for this, but this COVID period of life, what are you, uh, what are you guys seeing here? What are you doing? How are you reacting to it? Uh, just for context, everybody who's listening, we are recording this, what, just beginning of April of 2020. So, uh, yeah, what are you, what are you doing right now? Yeah. So the very first shift that we made, which I think is the most important is we knew that we had to flip to a virtual model that kept social distancing, meaning I cannot interact with three people now face-to-face. -face. I cannot interact with a seller. I cannot interact with a cash buyer if I'm deciding to wholesale it, right? Or right if you're going to fix and flip a little bit different. And the other thing is I can't interact with the title company. So how do you build a model in which you don't do that? And that was the very first thing we shifted. And I still feel as of today, you just gave the date that that was probably the fastest thing that we executed on that created the biggest change. So let me give you some examples. If you're dealing with a seller, right? You, I don't care if you're building your rental portfolio. I don't care if you're looking for a fix and flip. It doesn't matter. We're all interacting with sellers, right? So there's three ways to get what you need from a seller. You can't go into the house. So you can, number one, have the seller do photography and videography for you, which is great. Number two, you can throw them on Zoom if they have comfort from a tech standpoint. Hit record. And you can do a walkthrough as they walk you through the house, which is great because then you can guide the tour and be mm. like, well, what's that there? Can you explain that? If yeah. someone is tech deficient, right, and they don't know how to do video or email, these are for our demographic that's usually over the age of 50, which is actually a huge demographic for a lot of us. What we do is we deliver a tablet to their door. We have it open to where they can take pictures and our inspector literally passes it through the doors like wearing a mask, right? <laughs> Sanitizes it down, which is important, right? Because we know that elderly people need to be cautious and we need to respect that. And they'll take pictures, pass it back through the door. If we don't like what we see, we just explain it and pass it through. So in my opinion, those three things will remove any excuse that you cannot get what you need to see the inside of that property virtually without ever going in. Now, on the flip side, if you're fixing and flipping, you're just going to take that deal yourself. But I will speak to part of the audience that might be moving this over to a cash buyer, right? You can take all of that information that you just gathered and you can do one of two things. You can embed it into an email that you send out to your cash buyers and they can watch a video. Now, when we first did this, we didn't know how it was going to work. We were like, because investors are like, I'm not leaving my house. <laughs> 
So like, how are you going to convince me to buy a property? Well, we sent them videos of the house. And again, if you're building your rental portfolio, you should be talking to people that are sending you deals to do this for you so that you can see them. But they jumped on it. And we actually sold our first deal. That one was particularly just a wholesale and we made 23,500. Now think about that. We never entered the seller's house and the person that bought the deal from us as an investor never had to enter the house either, which is fantastic. So it was a completely virtual process. And then the other thing you can do with your cash buyer is you can do an open uh, zoom, like open house, right? So, if you're, let's say, someone building a rental portfolio and maybe you buy from a wholesaler, some of us do that, right? Or you're on the opposite side. You can put a bunch of people on Zoom and do a walkthrough of a house if it's vacant with just one person being in that house. So now everyone can see the house and you can create some competition by everybody being on the Zoom call together. And then the last piece is the title company. How do you deal with that? Well, we know obviously that uh, if you look at real estate right now, that's been deemed as an essential business. Title companies are still in business and they can close deals. So we do mobile closings. They literally go out to the house, they pass everything through the door, they've marked where they need to sign, the seller signs it and then passes it back through the door to our title person. So now you have an entire virtual model between the seller, your cash buyer if you're needing that, and the title company. And once we put that into place, boom, things started taking off again. Fantastic. We got real excited. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. My One of my, my fears always, because I've never bought a property necessarily without looking at it first, right? Going there and looking at it and checking it out. So my fear is like, well, what if like you didn't notice that the floor was super squeaky under the floorboards because you can't see that in a video and you can't see that, you know, the plumbing is 1912 and it's all cast iron. Like, how do you get around some of those fears for those people listening who want to do some virtual investing? Want to, and David, I would ask you the same question because you do this as well. You buy at a distance. Like, how do you like, is that a legitimate fear that there are going to be things that just do not show up on a camera or that I might miss out on? Well, let me also say that along with those pictures, we provide an inspection report okay. as well. And so I feel like any deal that we're doing, we should have an inspection report that's filled out. So the decision's not just made off of photography and videography, it's also based on a written report. But you're right, this is what I found. There are two types of investors now, and we had to understand that people were gonna fall into one to two camps. You're gonna have some, that, and I'll give you more objections, right? I'm not buying anything right now until I see what's gonna happen in the market. I can't manage my rehab crews because I'm not going to get sick and bring that back home to my family. And you have just a list of objections on that side. So rather than us coming in and trying to break down every single one of those objections, what we said is we're going to focus on those right now that don't have those objections. And there are investors right now that I'm telling you that have no problem saying the time to buy is now. Uh, I have no problem buying off uh, a video and an inspection report. And so now you have two camps of people. And so our focus has been to go after the people that go, I'm still in the game. Let's keep playing. And yeah, I think yeah. that there's more opportunity to the fact that the competition has been really weeded out because people are fearful and scared. And so I'm going to stay in the game because I realize there's less people in the game and that's enough incentive for me to get off the bench. And so now you're dealing with two different philosophies that are out there. 
Yeah, I, I like really one good. of the points you made that you still get an inspection report. I think the people who get hung up on the long distance investing and they worry about missing something and tell me, Chris, if you agree, they tend to think that you got to get it all done in one fell swoop, that you're doing a complete inspection on a property before you even write an offer on it. And the way that this typically works with people that do this at high volume is you break it into like the Henry Ford type assembly line where you get a lead to come in, you talk to find out how motivated they are, you see if you have a reasonable chance of putting it in contract, you do a step of due diligence. If that looks good, you do another step. If that looks good, you write an offer. Once the offer is written, you do a deeper level of uh, due diligence. And that might be where you actually pay for a home inspection type of a thing. But you don't see professionals that are good at this that try to do it all on the very first step. That just isn't how business works. It's not one step in a funnel that turns a lead into revenue. I talk about that all the time that like as a realtor, I've got a funnel, like a lead comes and says, I want to buy a house or I want to sell a house. We put them through a process of steps. And if that goes well, out comes revenue on the other end, but it's not going to do that for every person. And the cleaner that you have those steps set up and the more skilled the people on your team are at their job, the more we'll make it all the way through. I want to ask you about where your leads come in. But before I do, I kind of want to know if you can comment on how your funnel is set up when due diligence is done, how you've structured the jobs that need to get done from someone saying, hey, I think I want to sell my house to ultimately you closing on that deal. So do you want like our lead flow from the time a lead is coming in till we close yeah. it? So like when the phone rings to the point that it's at the title company and it closes. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give kind of a broad stroke of the funnel. So lead comes in again, everything we do creates an inbound call right? So that's first and foremost. We love marketing and we love to talk to people that first call us. Uh, that's how our whole system is built because we think that that's more efficient at the end of the day. So lead comes in, that actually goes to what we have as our calling assistants and they are on the front lines and their job is to pre-qualify that lead to make sure the motivation and the capacity to do a deal is there. Once that's done, it's actually live transferred in the moment to our sales team, right? So that sales team can pick it up, be debriefed by the calling assistant that says, hey, I've got this person on hold. Here's the situation. I'm sending them up to you because I think you can go ahead and get this deal done. So once it gets kicked up to our sales team, their job at that point is to do more due diligence, make sure that this deal is going to work, but more importantly, set the inspection right? Because in our world, we want to buy properties based off of data, not just wrap up deals to wrap up deals and go back and try to renegotiate price and all of that later. So we run through our inspection process. Uh, we run our comps. We get all of that data back as quickly as possible. Usually our turnaround on that is 24 to 48 hours because we have to be fast because we know that this game is obviously about speed. And at that point, the salesperson will go ahead and lock up that phone uh, deal over the phone primarily. So that's another thing as well. I definitely believe face-to-face -face works. There's times that you need to do it, but the more scalable model is to try to lock up deals over the phone and minimize commuting and getting stuck in traffic. And so once that deal is locked up, it goes over to our uh, closing manager that deals literally everything with the title company, title issues, gets that property cleaned up, title looking pretty and make sure that it closes out and the deal is done. So what do you say to people who say, I don't want to lock up that deal until I've seen this or I've seen that? Can you explain why you feel comfortable locking up a deal when you haven't seen it or you haven't done a lot of the due diligence yet? 
Uh, I feel like for us, because we know our area. So if you were to ask me, I do think for us, it comes down to just experience. And so let me say this, would I be running that approach if I was brand new to the business? Uh, if I had to, because the environment required me to, and I had no choice, I would do it. But normally what we would say under normal circumstances is build up some experience, know your area. We live and do deals in Dallas, Fort Worth. You can throw us an address in a city and, and the street, and we can probably tell you off the top of our head what the value of that deal is worth if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, well, for us, that just comes, I think, with just experience of doing so many deals and having a comfort level. Again, there's a risk that we're taking there, but it's minimized because of experience. When and you lock up the deal, do you also have stuff in the contract that allows you to back out? Yeah, I think that's the same of thing. Of course, always. I mean, we're utilizing our three-page contract written by our attorneys that work in our favor. Absolutely. I get people all the time being like, well, when you make an offer, what if, what, you, what if you get two of your offers accepted? Cause I say make a lot of offers. I'm like, what if you get two accepted? I'm like, it's not like you put an offer in and you're automatically like, you know, now there's a guy with a gun to your head saying, if you don't buy this, I will pull the trigger. Like you get, you get to back out if you need to. I mean, you know, I don't like to. And if you got two deals under contract that you analyzed, like that's a good problem to have, not a bad one. I, I use the analogy of, of dating. Like buying a house and getting married. <laughs> you can date multiple multiple people at one time. If you do it the right way, then yeah. I mean, not if you're serious, right? Like not if this is my girlfriend, but if you're like, I'm getting to know this person because I sure, want to know sure. if we can get married. I mean, we don't really do that that way now, but for a long time, remember that phrase going steady? That was like a yep. step in the process. It went from I'm dating a couple different people to I like this one. I'm just going to date yeah. this one. Putting yeah, somebody we're exclusive in, is kind of like, yeah, we're exclusive. Thing, right? There you go. Yeah. What we would say now is I'm talking, we're talking, you could be talking to several people. That's yeah. like negotiating with a seller, right? We're going back and forth. Putting somebody in contract is not getting married to them. You can get out of that situation, just like you can get out of a boyfriend, girlfriend situation much easier than once you've actually closed. And I think where a lot of newer investors get hung up and they don't take action is they think if I write an offer, that's a marriage proposal. And I need to know way more about this deal. I got to review this thing super, super deep. And while you're waiting, somebody else goes and asks that girl out to be their girlfriend and you get nothing. And so what Chris is saying here is the most important part, and I tell this to my clients all the time when we're buying houses, is we get it under contract before somebody else does, right? The minute you put a house in contract, all you've done as a buyer is eliminate all your competition. The other guys or girls that were trying to date that other person, they're out of the game. You you get to slow down, take your time, get to know them, decide, do I really want to marry you? Or did you just look it on the outside and it's got more problems? It's actually bad for the seller to when they actually go into contract because they don't really have a lot of power. They can't back out of the deal with the buyer in the way most contracts are written. The buyer's the only one they can back out. Sellers can't ask for more money if it appraises high. They can't say, wow, that inspection came out super clean. You owe me another five grand. That was better than most. It's better for the buyer when you go into contract, not for the seller. The seller loses the ability to find other clients. And that's why people like Chris can move so decisively because they understand that. I want to lock this thing up, get all my competition out of the way. Then I'll put the time into actually, you know, seriously dating this person and seeing what I've got. Agreed. Yeah. It's funny you said that. The very first advice I got into real estate because I had that same fear about getting deals under contract. And you said, and I'll never forget this guy, this coach would tell me the same thing all the time. Chris, just lock it up. Just lock yeah. it up. Just, I mean, I can just hear him in my head, quit overthinking, just lock it up and then start to make decisions after you lock it up. 
Yeah, this is so I've been teaching these webinars, you know, on bigger pockets every week now for like four years. And I talk a lot about this lapse funnel, LAPS. Like, and every real estate investor in the world does this funnel. Uh, just some recognize it and some don't. Like, you have to have a, gen- a way of getting leads, LAPS. You gotta get leads coming in. You gotta run those numbers and determine how much you can pay for the lead, like, you know, pay for the property then you have to pursue it. Now, sometimes that's an offer. Sometimes that's a conversation on the phone. Sometimes it's a formal written offer, but you got to pursue it because you're never going to get anything. So this is the, the point. People always say, I can't find any deals. And so the question I always ask them, and I want everyone listening right now who says, I can't find any deals. You know, there's a you know quarter million people listen to this. And I'm sure half of them are saying that. Ask yourself, how many offers did you make last week? Like, and if the answer is zero, we found your problem. And then usually it's like, okay, well, I can't, I don't have any deals to offer. Okay. Well, how many did you analyze to figure out how much you can pay? Uh, oh, I didn't analyze any. I didn't have any leads. Okay. Well, how, how many leads came in? Well, none. Okay. Well now we have your problem. Like you can diagnose a problem pretty, pretty simply. And so Chris, what I'm hearing you say today, I mean, like you've got a very, like, I want to get to leads here in a second. Cause I'm fascinated by this idea of what you're doing, but you get leads coming in, your team looks at them, they process. When I say analyze, that's what I'm talking about is going through this, this uh, assembly line of due diligence and, and, and analysis and bringing it over the team and, and all that, and then moving it to making an offer, trying to get it locked up. Because if you do that enough, if you're consistent with that, the final part of the lapse funnel is S, success. You're going to get success eventually. Now, I do want to give one bit of encouragement to everyone listening. You said, you said one of the reasons you feel comfortable making offers and being able to do that is because you've just got a massive amount of experience. And so there's people listening to this going, well, I don't have a lot of experience. This is why you need to, like everyone listening needs to like start analyzing deals in your market. Like pick your market. Where are you going to invest? So at least you can start building that experience right now. And then maybe set a goal. I'm going to analyze five deals every day. And I don't care where the deals come from. Just go to realtor.com or Zillow and get them. It doesn't matter. I'm going to analyze five deals every single day in my market for the next, let's call it three months. If you did that, you'd have analyzed a hundred deals. Is that going to help you feel more or less comfortable when it comes time to making an offer? You'll be like way more comfortable. So like, don't use that as an excuse. Everybody of like, well, who's got years of experience. So I can't do that. You can build the experience, especially right now. When most people are sitting at home, start analyzing deals, start getting to know your market, call real estate agents and property managers, and just become an expert at your market. All right. Off my soapbox. Yeah. And I had a fix and flip coach early on that we worked with. And you want to know what the first homework was that he gave us? He gave us an insane amount of deals to do nothing but analyze and walk. There you go. Yeah, And it was literally a quota that we had to meet. And it wasn't because we were going to buy them. He just wanted us analyzing deals. Yeah, I love it. Smart enough to understand that we didn't have to wait years to become experienced. And I hope the audience listening right now will grasp onto what we're saying. And that is accelerate your learning, speed up your process, and you can be experienced at analyzing deals actually pretty quickly if you put the pedal to the metal on this and start doing your due diligence. Yeah. Years do not equate experience. That's such a good point you made out. Repetition determines experience. Agreed. Mm. So I had this, this talk with my assistant. She's awesome, Krista. And she got her license, but she always feels like, well, I don't know as much as the other realtors in the office and it hurts her confidence. She's like, I've been a realtor for 10, 12 years. I've only been doing this with you for three years. And I finally was like, okay, Krista, here's what I need you to understand. The average realtor in our office closes like four deals a year, maybe five <laughs> if they have a good year. Over that 10 years, they've done 50 deals, okay? We do that in one year. You've seen 150 deals come across your desk. I mean, this year we were gonna do like 300 deals. It was going awesome before Corona hit. But you've seen... <laughs> 
three times the amount of deals that they've seen in your three years with me. You have way more experience with them. You know way more about what can go wrong. Your confidence is based on the wrong thing. It's based on years when it, if you should be looking at repetitions. And that's true for everything. You want to be a great martial artist and get to black belt fast. If you go every single day, that's different than the person who says, I've been training for eight years and they go twice a month. It's Dude, somebody actually said when I was at jujitsu a couple, you know, a couple months ago before I shut down, I asked the guy, I was like, how long have you been, how long have you been doing this? And he goes, well, that's the wrong question. That's what his point was. It's like, it doesn't matter how many years I've been doing this. He's like, I've actually been doing it for 20 years, but I took like 15 of those off. And so I'm nowhere near as good as I should have been. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's a really good point. I shouldn't ask people how many years they've been in it. It's, you know, that's why we have the belt system, right? That's exactly right. And that's why I tell people in long distance real estate investing, when you're looking for a realtor, you want one that sells a lot of houses. You, and sometimes they don't respond to your email as fast. And sometimes you have to deal with their assistant. But if they do it a lot, they're way more likely to be good at it than someone who says, I have 15 years of experience. And you look it up and that they sold two to three houses a year for 15 years. They're, they're not going to be nearly as good. Is that the same thing that you feel like you've seen in your business, Chris? Agreed. What's what's the old saying? You don't have 10 years experience. You just have one year experience 10 times. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet 
that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability, service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. So I, I love that we covered like what goes on in the funnel because I always like to break things down into smaller pieces, right? And every business is two parts. It's a lead and it's a funnel. If you get leads into your funnel, like Brandon just explained, out will come revenue. You can improve in two ways. You can get better at how you run through the funnel more efficient. Those are leadership skills. Those are hiring skills. Those are efficiency skills, right? Like what CRM you're using, the flow charts, that kind of stuff. Or you can bring in more leads. That's the other thing, or maybe better leads. So can you share with us, you've told us about the funnel part. Now tell us how are you driving leads to this business for your team to convert? Yeah, there's a, a few pillars we have, but I'll give you the one that has worked for us for like nine years now. Think about that. We go through different pieces of lead generation because sometimes they work for a period of time. They might get oversaturated because of competition. The pricing might go up and down depending on your area. That would be example of like pay-per-click might get expensive, but we've had one that we have stayed with tried and true now for all those years. And that is radio to find Mm -hmm. discounted properties. And people, here's the first people are saying like, radio are are you serious like isn't that old school hasn't that been around forever and i say absolutely but the application of radio for us to find investment opportunities to build our rental portfolio or to fix and flip is literally virtually no competition on radio and people go well who listens to the radio doesn't everyone just download spotify on their phone, right? I listen to Pandora and I have to remind people that you are not your demographic. Mm-hmm. Your demographic is primarily over the age of 50 and their habit is still twofold. They watch TV and yes, they still listen to the radio when they get in the car. That's and so, so we so love radio and it's worked really, really well for us. So what does your ad, what does the radio ad say? And, and I think I, my our producer, Kevin said he actually had a recording of one. Can we, can we play that? It's one thing to be stuck in your house due to COVID-19. It's another to be stuck with your house. We have good news for homeowners listening throughout the area. My Home Sold is still buying houses in North Texas. 
More importantly, we offer sellers a completely virtual selling process that maintains social distancing standards. Sell your home now. Call My Home Sold at 469 That's awesome. That's a really good ad. <laughs> I, love, I love the Southern accent. Well, you <laughs> want to know why? Because it's being advertised on a country station. <laughs> yep. Oh, funny. So now Brandon oh, is the best marketer that I've ever met in my life. I'd like to have, I'm going to put Brandon no, on the thanks. spot. Break down why you think this is a good ad or what would have to be changed to make it better. That's funny. Man, well, the Southern accent things really uh-huh. stood out to me, right? It's just like, I'm one of you guys. I'm, I'm like, it's not like some like, yeah, I don't know, yuppie New England like voice. Uh-huh. It's uh, all the New England people now just quit listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the whole thing was like benefit driven. I mean, you're right. It's not, it's not like feature driven. It's not like we're awesome and we buy lots of houses and we do this. It's like, here's what it's in it for you. And we're going to maintain social distancing, which is everyone's fear. So anyway, I'm that, I mean, that's like the thing that stood out to me is just, yeah, it's, it's benefit driven. It's, Hey, I'm, I'm this person. It's short and to the point. Yeah. I think people to go too long, but I don't know. How'd you guys come up with that ad? I mean, like, what was your, your thought behind it? Well, yeah. So when COVID-19 hit, you have to shift, you have to adapt, right? So we talked earlier about adapting everything from a system and process standpoint or a funnel as we were talking about it over to virtual. Well, now all the marketing that we need to do, we need to communicate two things, right? Yes, we're still here doing business. We're open, right? The public needs to know that. And the second thing is they need to know that we have shifted to in order to maintain social distancing. And we have a solution for you to still get what you need by running it through the current environment that we're in. And so I don't care if it's radio or whatever you're doing. Those are the two messages that needed to be driven very quickly. Do you get better results from country radio or is there a certain like genre that tends to give you better results? Yeah. So it depends on your area. So the U S can be broken down into three demographics when it comes to the radio. And that depends on where you're located in the U S. So demographic one is over the age of 50. Number two is what we call rural, right? So you heard a country station. And then number three is what we call your urban demographic. So depending on where you're at, you might have one or two demographics in Dallas, Fort Worth. We actually have all three. So we advertise on country, we advertise on like old school rock, right, that our grandparents would listen to, and then we advertise on urban stations. And so we actually go after all three demographics in Dallas Fort Worth. Weird question. Were you able to get any information on which demographic tends to have the highest percentage of homeowners? I'm curious if like country music listeners tend to own homes more than other radio (laughs) station listeners. Yeah, so we're, this is very data driven. We're not just coming in and going, hey, uh, I live in a country area, so I'm going to advertise on a country station. We actually go in and we pull data from the stations. A lot of people don't understand this. There's three sets of reports that you can pull that are really important that let you know how many people are listening and how many people actually own homes versus rent them. So these are things that you can actually know based on reports. And so what I would tell you, again, generally speaking, uh, usually people over the age of 50 are the ones that have the highest home ownership. Mm. But it can vary station to station. So that's why we don't choose stations blindly. Um, Definitely when we help people do this as well, we want to make sure we get in and analyze each station and the data to make sure the home ownership is there. So it's station to station. There's a lot of variables that can dictate So, you, that. so you're looking for a lot of George Strait and a little less Florida Georgia line. 
that, that older generation. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know this is going to be a ton of variables as well that will, that will, yeah, you can't answer this straight out, but what does it cost for a radio ad? I mean, how, what, yeah, what's so it cost? And then what, what's a lead cost because of that? I mean, if we yeah, so too. I'll give you the exact numbers, what I call the, right. the no BS numbers, right? So the first reason that people have cleared away from radio, because here's the question that everyone's asking. If radio is so good, why are more people not doing it? That's yeah. the real question that everyone asks. It's based on assumptions. We already hit first assumption, and that is, I don't think that, uh, I don't listen to the radio, so no one else that I'm selling houses do. You're wrong. You're looking at yourself as the demographic. The second thing is, I assume that it's not affordable. That in order to do radio, I got to start with a budget of like $10,000 a month. That is not true. Your budget for radio, even in a major market like Dallas-Fort Worth, starts off at $1,000 to $2,000 a month. That's any market, and people are usually spending more on that than direct mail, right? The very yeah. first station that I bought in Dallas was $1,500 total. And that got us on our way to start doing more and more radio. So it's very affordable. And then the, what people really want to know is what is the dollar per dollar return? So let me break that down if somebody's listening uh, on that. You have a lot of metrics you could look at. Cost per lead, cost per acquisition. Those are going to vary depending on people, right? But what we care about is what comes out the back end. So we talk about dollar per dollar return. For every dollar I spend, how many dollars I get back? A simple yeah. analogy is for every dollar I put in the Coke machine, how many dollars does this spit back out at me? For us in Dallas, Fort Worth, and for anyone that's spending over five grand a month on radio, it lands somewhere between three to four dollars, which is great. That's solid. Every dollar I'm spending, I'm getting three to four dollars back. For us in Dallas, Fort Worth, it's three dollars and fifty cents is where we sit. And if you're spending just a couple grand, on radio, you're probably your dollar per dollar return, which has been reported back from us, from other people that have set this up, is they're getting five to seven dollars back. And the reason that's higher because the law of averages is working in their favor because they're spending a smaller amount of the budget. But those are good, healthy returns. But here's the most important thing. It sticks there. It's consistent. It stays. It doesn't go up and down. And that's why we love radio because we can depend on it. Yeah. You know, in 2018, we got hammered on direct mail. We were getting a one to four return. And in 2018, it dropped down to a one to two in Dallas, Fort Worth, because you could walk into a house and see 50, 60 postcards stacked on somebody's table. Wow. And you're in trouble when you're competing with that many people around marketing. And that's why I love about radio. There's virtually no competition. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you tested TV at all? Have you gone that route? Yeah, we, uh, we're testing TV now um, and working on really trying to crack the code on it. We've yeah. cracked the code on radio. There's a ton of variables you have to answer, like how long should your spot be? What station should you be on? When should you advertise? There's a lot there. And so we figured that out. And right now we're trying to do the same thing on TV. And what I will tell anyone listening is there's definitely a lot of overlap between TV and radio. And so I believe there's a force multiplier between the two for sure. Yeah. Well, one thing that intrigues me about radio, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, when you buy a radio pack, an ad package, you get multiple, like, you, you know, it plays over and over and over throughout the month, right? Like you get a number of, it's not like one quick ad for a couple of grand, right? No, no. So when I tell you this, I'll break down the numbers. When we say you can come in and own a station for a thousand to 2000, what that means is when we launch onto a station, we launch a hundred ads per month. 
on a station, right? That's five ads per day, five days a week. So when I say my first station was $1,500, I was running 100 ads. And that means, yes, do the math, that my 60-second spot was $15. People are blown away. They're like, we didn't know that you could buy radio. But if you understand how to buy, let me put it this way. We buy our radio like we buy our real estate. We buy it at a deep discounted price. Uh, just and if you, you want to yeah. make money on uh, a deal, you have to buy it right. If you buy it wrong, I don't care what you do on the back end, you're probably going to lose money. And the same is true with radio. If you get that part right in the beginning, then everything behind it, the ROI, the cost per lead, cost per acquisition will all fall into place and it'll become a very profitable uh, marketing channel for finding deals. So you have any tips on how you can get discounted radio ads? Yeah. So generally speaking, what we do is we go in and we look at the reports um, of a station and we base our decision on what we're going to buy that station at or the amount based on those stats. So here, let me kind of break it down this way. Here's a better way to say it. Each station has reports and the value of the station is hidden in those reports. And if you can get access to the reports, when you come in and I negotiate against your station, I don't ask you what I can advertise on your station for, I tell you. And I tell you because I'm looking at your reports, which is fundamentally a way of getting in and pulling down the pants of the radio station to see really what they have at play in the sense of the listenership, how many people own homes, all of those type of things. And we do a mathematical formula that dictates what price we buy at. And that is a very different conversation than just calling up a sales rep going, hey, I want to advertise on the radio station. Can you send me over a packet? They're going to slaughter you. They're going to sell you retail. I guarantee you, you'll be paying three to four times the amount that we're paying for the same ad. Guarantee. Yeah. I've heard that from multiple people who have done different radio ads for different business over the years is that if you just call them up and ask them, you're paying retail and you can get massive discounts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But a couple more benefits. I think are really important that around radio that I love if you were to ask me, right? Why I get excited about it. Number one, celebrity status. You tell me another Mm -hmm. marketing channel that makes you a local celebrity. You don't get that through bandit signs. You don't get that through text blasting, ringless voicemail, everything that everyone is doing to try to locate deals. You have celebrity status. That allows you to beat out the competition in your area because if I go head to head with you and I have celebrity status and the seller doesn't even know who you are, then we're going to beat you out. And the other thing that comes behind that is what we call instant credibility. Here's the assumption that the listener makes. If you're advertising on radio, then you must know what you're talking about. Mm, There's the automatic assumption, which gives you instant credibility. So this is what I love for the new investor, right? Someone's new to the game and they're like, how can I get in and compete against the big boys? Launch your radio. You can probably afford $1,000 to $2,000 a month and know that as soon as you're heard, they're going to assume that you're an expert, even if you're a couple months into the game. Isn't that great? That's awesome. Yeah. I have a couple questions. What are the name of the reports that you're asking them for? Yeah. So we look at different reports, like an example of one would be a ranker, right? Which shows you like the listenership or size. So that's an example of one report. Um, Another report uh, you can look at would be like hour by hour, which shows you the traffic and so forth. So those are some examples of particular specific reports that we're looking at. Great question though. This is probably a stupid question, but I feel like I've never known this my entire life and I should know this. 
radio just goes out. Radio is not internet. Where internet, I can tell. I mean, I can tell exactly how many people right now are on the Bigger Pockets website. You know, there's you know whatever thousands of people to the person. I can tell and where they're at, where what their IP address even is. Like I mean, we like internet's crazy. Radio. I mean, I just turn a dial on a th- on a, on a car. So how does a radio station know, or do they know? As I mean, is this are they digitally they advanced as well? They know. There, how many there's a program that they subscribe to. Which okay, I want you to think of like the MLS system, right? Mm-hmm. So the MLS system is there to collect data for all of us as real estate people that need to understand what's happening in particular areas. So the radio world has its own MLS, um, which is called Nielsen. And what that does is it collects all of the data. So you can know exactly how many people listen when they tune in. They can tell you that more people tune in at this hour than this hour. I mean, it's amazing how far you can break down the data. So let me say this, this is not a spray and pray approach. We are not buckshotting. We are coming in and we are choosing a different demographic and we are targeting that demographic based on reports, based on when we know behaviorally they're listening, based to the type of music that that person listens to. And we know that that's what makes like Facebook so powerful is how much you can niche it. You can actually do some really good niching with radio, which I don't think a lot of people understand. Yeah, that's fascinating. So just kind of the tie in one point we made earlier and I'll make it again here. Like you became, not only did you become an expert at your market and you understand every street and every area and every, you know, like demographic within your market, you also became an expert at a marketing channel. And my guess is that changes over the years since you've been in real estate. Now you've probably changed to different things. You mentioned, you know, direct mail and then you got killed in that, but you sought to become an expert. And right now you're choosing to be an expert in radio, which I think is awesome. And, And so again, to make that point I made earlier, if you're listening to this going, well, I can't compete with that. Why not just cho- choose a marketing strategy that, that maybe you think is unique in your area. Or you can be the best at and then become an expert at that. Like you should know what the word ranker means if you want to do radio, right? Like, so my question then for you is how does somebody become an expert at radio? Let me actually step back. Cause you said something Please. that's really important though. And I'm speaking to people that are newer to the business, right? That are listening right now. The biggest mistake I see made, which was the first mistake I made from a marketing standpoint, is we come in and we try to do like seven to 10 different marketing strategies at the same time. And what we end up doing, honestly, I'll just say it is we end up half-assing them. And my deal is you should never have really more than about two to four pillars for marketing in your business. And my deal is when you start one, you don't get to earn the right to go launch another marketing channel until you become an expert at that one. But people say, well, it doesn't work or that's not, I see this all the time. And what people end up becoming in the marketing world are bouncers. They Mm -hmm. bounce from thing to thing and they're throwing off that this does. Everyone works. You can build a business off of cold calling. You can build it off of bandit signs. You can, I mean, it's crazy. I know people that have done this on the retail side. If you want to talk retail referrals, I see people that build an entire brokerage off of referrals. So they all work. And so if I would tell anyone, the secret is learning to focus and get rid of all the chasing of the shiny objects around you and earn the right and become great and an expert at it. That is so, so powerful. I want everyone to rewind the last like two minutes and just listen to that again. Like 
every single morning when you wake up. Cause like, this is like the biggest, I mean, I, I talk with a lot of investors, especially a lot of new investors. And I would say this doesn't apply just to marketing, but people are bouncers with everything, right? Like they, they want to get into flipping and then it's like, well, I think wholesaling will be better. And then maybe I'll do rentals and then burr and then vacation rentals will be good. And they jump from thing to thing to thing, or I'm going to do an Amazon business. No, I'm going to go sell Mary Kay products door to door. And I'm going to go do Tupperware. And then I'm going to do wholesale. And then I'm going to do this. And that. they, they jump. And the fact is, and when like, it all works. It, like you said, I love that you said that it all works, but it doesn't work if you try to work at all. So like, you know, I use the analogy and I did it at BPCon last year. I'll probably do it again when I talk this year. Cause I think it's just a good analogy. It's like, you're building a bridge from an Island you're on right now to another Island. And the more bridges you try to build, the more you're spread thin and your bridge will never hit that other side. So if it takes a hundred or even a thousand hours of research and testing and trying certain marketing techniques, but you spend an hour on this one, then you go try an hour on this one and an hour on this one, like you're never going to get that bridge across there where either somebody else is running and managing your bridge for you, or, you know, you've just made it to the promised land and you're just retired now on a beach in Mexico. Like some Agreed. people <laughs> sum it up. The secret of concentration is elimination right? Mm, Eliminating yeah. everything about around me and concentrating on the one to two key things. Man, how applicable is so that good. in all of our lives, not just in marketing? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So good. Do you have any final tips? I mean, like, I, I love that point, but how does somebody say no to all the great things that are out there and all the different, and you listen to a podcast and you're like, that sounds fun. And I want to try this marketing technique. I'm going to try this thing. And uh, how have you learned to harness that part of your mind that just wants to go and do everything? Yeah, that's a, actually a really good question because I struggled that. I tell you, I used to <laughs> hate going to like masterminds and events because, and my team hated it too because early in the day I would come back yeah. and go, all right, here's yeah. everything. We're <laughs> like, and my team is like, oh, here we go with Chris again, right? He's yeah. about to literally launch 10 different changes in the business. I think uh, a couple things, if I were to break it down, we said it earlier and that is building the right principles in your life. Like I really learned and actually began to believe in the power of focus. And I don't think there's a person not listening that doesn't understand the importance of the ability to focus. If you've not heard that, I guarantee you've heard it 50 times. But the deal is, have you really come to the belief system that that's true? And I think that that comes via pain. I mean, how much money have I lost? How many times have I come in and changed everything in my business when it wasn't necessary to do it? And that cost me money and that cost me pain. So I think that that's one thing right there. I think the second thing, which is really important, is counsel. Whether that's counsel within your team whether you're a lone solo investor right now and that's relationships that you build around you, whether you're in a community like the one you're listening to right now, what keeps us on track and not getting distracted is making decisions and funneling them through a few key people that we trust that are always checking us. Because when we're left to ourselves to make decisions, that's when we get in trouble. Yeah, that's so good. I, I did a webinar for Bigger Pockets last week and I made this point that you could do everything right in real estate and, and in your journey, like all the investor journey, like you could do everything right. You could get the leads right. You could do the negotiation. But the fact is that most people just give up because they like lack, like they lack focus or persistence to actually get through things. And so I offered like three suggestions that have worked for me and I, I'm guessing they've worked for you as well. I mean, like 
Number one, like is having like an accountability group of some kind, whether it's a mastermind group of like, you know, three, four five people. I've done a number of those over the years have been huge for me. Uh, the second thing I've done is like journaling. That's why we have the intention journal at bigger pockets. There's a lot of other journals out there if you don't want to use the BP one, but just some kind of like daily habit. Like every single morning I write down my three goals that I'm working on. So then when I get distracted, I want to go do something else. Every morning I get recentered onto that. And the third thing would be uh, like a performance coach, some kind of like both David and I have been huge on performance coaching where it's, it's, I'm not talking about like the 50 thousand or hundred thousand dollar guru who's charging you for his you know cd package i'm talking about like somebody who every week or every other week is basically doing what the accountability group does or the mastermind group but he's doing it just with you and it's like hey man last week you said you were going to do this why didn't you do that so i mean are those three things that you've used or or do you have any other suggestions as Dude, well you literally are like speaking my heart everything you said <laughs> is literally applicable in my life all the way from the group setting down to the one-on-one and i tell you the moments in my life where I was cheap and decided not to pay for a coach for a period of time, right? Yeah. Where I didn't renew to be a part of that particular mastermind or community. If I look back, those are the times I slowly unraveled. Yep. Because yeah, I would just, again, I think it's, you know, one of the biggest problems we have as entrepreneurs is, and I want to speak to this because I think this is really happening right now. You want to really talk about what I think the biggest challenge in the entrepreneurial world is this, is when the crap hits the fan, we isolate Mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs. We go and we hide and we want to deal in the corner with these things by ourselves because we have fear and we have shame and we have all of these things. And if you're listening and you're not plugged in with someone somewhere doing something right now and you're alone, it's dangerous right now. And so this is why I feel like community is gonna win above all, particularly with what we're going on right now with COVID-19. Man, entrepreneurs isolated is the biggest problem I see. And you wanna ask, okay, so what happens? Let's get real raw about that, right? It comes out sideways and now you're getting into substance abuse, alcoholism, all the addictions that you see are rampant in the entrepreneurial community. That comes when people isolate. Mm. Yeah, so true. David, you have any thoughts on this? Because I know you you also are, are, are huge on this performance coach stuff and communities and mastermind. I mean, you and I are in GoBundance and, and I know Chris, you have, like, you have a group as well, Chris. What's it called? Yeah, uh, the Multipliers Brotherhood. And okay. so it's about the internal side, right? It's about the connection, about men having each other's back regardless of what happens. It's powerful. I know you're in Go Abundance. It's the same philosophy. It's so powerful. So David, what do you think on this stuff? I think that one thing when, when Chris was talking earlier about the mastermind he's in before we started this group with a couple guys we knew, they're all house flippers. They're all investors. They're, some of them are established. Some of them are just getting started. But ideas travel virally, just like viruses do. Ideas, uh, one idea can get into a group, all 100 people or 50 people realize, oh my God, that's a great idea. They all use it. And then they all spread it to the people that are in their world too, right? When, when people hear on the Bigger Pockets podcast, you or me, or one of our guests say something that sounds brilliant, they tend to attribute that brilliance to the person who said it. But like there's a 99% chance that person got it from somebody else. Right? Amen. <laughs> amen. Nothing original. Right. And so we end up looking much smarter than we probably really are because we were smart enough to get into a group of smart people, which you may, some people may say is privilege, but it's a privilege is open to anybody that gets into the group. And then they all hear the idea. And then eventually everyone does the idea and it stops being effective. And someone comes up with a new idea and boom, everyone benefits. The difference is nobody is smart enough to come up with all 50 ideas on their own. 
all it takes is one out of the 50 having one good idea that year and all the other 49 benefit from it. And then one of the other 49 has the next good idea and then everyone benefits from that. And it amplifies the results that you get. This is why masterminds are really big. The second way that they help people a lot is like Chris said, when there needs to be a consensus when there's a decision to be made in the business because we don't know our own blind spots. I don't recognize my weaknesses. I don't know the way I rub people the wrong way. Brandon doesn't know the areas where he could be doing better, but I look at it like, oh, if you could just change that one thing, you'd be crushing it in this area. Well, when you have people that care about you, or even if they don't, they're just committed to your success because you're in a group, they can point those things out and they can give you advice for how they would handle it, which is what you need. Because the way you look at the problem is wrong. You have a blind spot there. You don't see it the right way. That's what's been super big for me is the performance coach that I have will help point out, this is why you're having trouble hiring. And then my accountability group will, hey, have you fixed it? Have you fixed it? Have you fixed it? Are you still doing it? And it's very difficult to stay the same when you've got that much people around you that are pushing you. When you isolate, you tend to just beat yourself up. You're telling yourself thoughts like, I suck. I'm failing. This isn't working. But you're putting on a smile to everybody else, especially if you're promoting yourself on social media. You're always going to be smiling and you're always putting that today is a new day, a new year, new me, I'm going to go crush it. And then they never do anything <laughs> that always happens. And then it's double bad because you went and wrote this check on social media that you can't cash and you don't want to tell anybody that. I know there's a lot of people that are hearing this and realizing, oh, that's normal. Everyone's going through that. Yeah, everyone's going through it. The ones that are successful are the ones that get out of their own way. They, they don't self-isolate and they get into a group of other people that can help push them through that. Can I ask you guys a question? When this whole COVID-19 hit, how many Zoom calls or community calls did you guys jump into as the immediate response to get help and guidance from people in your network? Like I found like the first week or two weeks, that's all I was in was Zoom after Zoom, group after group. And that was the highest and best use of my time to get as much brain power that we had access to at that point to come up with these ideas. Did yeah, you guys find same. yourself doing the same thing and you realize how valuable to have that network was? Yeah, very much. So. I mean, my team and I you now, I mean, like we were already, we're already digital anyway, but we've just picked up the pace and done it even more. Uh, same with bigger pockets, like the, the company itself, like the fact that everyone's now no longer at the office. And so like, yeah, it's just, it's constant zoom calls and it is, it's super helpful. Uh, I think, uh, just, just learning, I guess, to rely on one another, like on that, like, yeah, cause you have to trust people a little bit more. Like, I feel like when everyone's working from home and everyone's working their own thing, but that's been super powerful as well. And just in getting through a tough time together, you kind of like, again, I said this last week, but difficulty and crisis, like that forges like change in life, just like you have a heart attack and you become a different kind of person. I think it's kind of the same thing here, but we're doing it as a company and as a group and as a, as a, a bunch of other people. I mean, that's why I've been pumping out videos and doing, and doing interviews on Instagram live, same thing been huge man well i want to go one more place before we get out of today's show because i know this is a long show already but you're managing a team how many how many team members do you have in your company now with uh the investment side i think we're around 15 we're, we're okay somewhere around 15 so how do you manage this i mean especially being from you know living in mexico you got teams in dallas how and i'm curious of like when i say how do you manage it's not just like you know where is everyone located kind of thing but like is there an investment or a management philosophy you follow is there a book like you know you we do this system you know or or you made up your own maybe and this is when we meet this is how we meet this is our goals that we set. like what does that look like in terms of getting everybody aligned and moving in the right direction and having accountability within your company yeah there's two systems that we built our entire company off of 
On the operational side, not the sell side, right? We run EOS, which comes from the book Traction. Traction, EOS stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System. What it does is it just gives us a flow of setting priorities and what types of meetings we should have. I think you're about ready to hold up the book. Boom, there it is. So (laughs) I really do believe you have to have an operational model um, to be able to do that. On the sales side, the model that we run is called Four Disciplines of Execution. He's about to pull out that man. You're a man. <laughs> I got that one too. After my own heart, dude. Look uh, at you. I, I run two up. I run two in my business as well. It's 4DX and. EOS, Are you running so. the exact same ones? Yeah, we do the same. Those thing. two. That's all. I, mean, yeah, I feel you, like that's yeah. all we need. <laughs> yeah, four disciplines is on the sales side, and and, uh, and the other one's on the operation yeah, side. It's exact. We are the same. That's person. exactly what we yeah. do. So those have uh, been perfect for us um, to be able to do that. Now, I do want to speak to management as a whole. Here's what people don't realize about the virtual world, and I think management in general. People that are hatched or birthed in the virtual world, meaning they've been in the virtual world for a long period of time, I have found those people normally to be more self-driven, self-motivated, and self-disciplined. They do not require the structure that someone coming into the office does. And there are people that do well outside of structure and those that need it in order to be able to work and to get things done. So what I would tell people is as we begin to hire people out of the virtual world that had already been there, we really didn't have to do much management at all. And I also believe just getting down to the overall principle, talented people do not need to be managed. I remember one of my coaches used to tell me, I'll never forget it. He used to say, Chris, if I have to manage you, I don't need you. He said, that's Mm -hmm. what I tell the people on my staff all the time. And he's right. If I have someone in my company that I'm managing uh, for any particular reason, managing to be on time, whatever that looks like, they don't belong in my company. And now it's taken us a long time to get there. I made a lot of bad hires to get the type of team that I have right now. Again, I've been doing this now for 15 years. So if you were to say the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that we have self-driven, self-managed people that literally make almost all the decisions in the company without me. And for me as a leader, I mean, isn't that really the goal to raise up leaders, to empower them, to be able to run something without you? I love what I heard someone say one time. The most selfish decision a leader can make is to make a business dependent on them. And the success of your business is how long it would run if you stopped working in it today. That's the world and kind of philosophy that I live by. And so that's why we work so hard to create the team that we have. You know, I heard my neck's going to hurt after this interview because I'm just nodding so much. I'm just like, yes. yes, yes, I wish that the people (laughs) listening could understand how impactful that is to those of us that are running the business. Because I think most people that want a change in their life. They look to real estate as the magic bullet that's going to fix it for them. And it's never a magic bullet. For some people, they can do better in the world of real estate than in their real job, but that's probably a lower percentage than most people think. I think what motivates a lot of people to get into real estate investing is they're not happy where they're at. And the problem is, if you're not happy where you're at because it's a toxic environment, you will do better in another one. But there's a very good chance that you're not happy where you're at because of your own attitude or your own mindset, Mm -hmm. or like you just said, Chris, that you're not driven. You're not self-motivated. I hear a lot of employees say, I don't know, I'm just not motivated to work here. They just don't make me really want it that much, right? And when you were mentioning, you said something about showing up to work on time. And I thought, 
when someone doesn't come to work on time unless a manager makes them, whether it's by punishing them or giving them an incentive, you're basically transferring the responsibility of getting to work on time off of yourself and onto the manager. And then I started thinking, well, that happens with like everything. I don't want to make my calls. I don't want to produce. I don't want to give my best. It's somebody else's responsibility to make me want it. It's not my own responsibility. And that's why they become a drag on us because they're taking everything off of themselves and putting it onto the company. And now the company's bearing the burden of what should be coming from them. And so the number one piece of advice I'd give people that want financial freedom is that you probably don't need to look for a different opportunity. You need to look for a different attitude first. If you're not already crushing it where you're at and hitting a ceiling where there's nowhere to go, you're probably not ready for the next jump. Now, this doesn't apply to everybody, but that's what I've noticed is there's so many people that say, I want another environment, another opportunity, another thing to learn. And those are typically the people that, like you guys said earlier, start one thing and they don't finish it. They move on to the next, right? They don't stick through it. You're ready to move when you've already done everything that you possibly can within the job that you have. And you're being held back because either the, like you just said, Chris, the owner says, I don't want another leader here. It's dependent on me. This person's now a threat or they don't have more opportunity to give you. That's when you should be making the next jump. If people could just get in our heads and understand how badly our businesses are looking for the person who will come in and give their very best and run with it, like the Ryan Murdoch that came in and changed Brandon's life. I really think there'd be an epiphany that just went on across the world of, oh, I have way more control over my financial future than what I think. If I gave it my all to somebody else, they're not going to take advantage of me. They're going to give me more opportunity. They're going to give me more chances to make more money. They're dying for somebody to step in here and do a better job and not be dependent on us to like take their hand and hold them and say, this is how you hold your pencil, right? There's I guess I, I know I beat this this drum a lot, but it's because so many people I come to me on social media saying, how do I get out of the situation I'm in? I want more opportunity, but they're not crushing it in the situation they're already in. And I know when I put them in a new situation, they're going to have the same problems that, they ha- that they're having right now. But Ben Kinney had a comment that uh, nobody's a great leader of mediocre talent. And it was very similar to what, what Chris just said, where, where I think you said, uh, if I have to lead you, I don't want you, Right. Like the right business, you, I don't need you. There you go. If I have to manage you, yeah, not lead. If I have to manage you, I don't need you. The right business will offer you the opportunity and give you the tools that you need to be successful, but they're not going to like take your hands and swing the ax for you. That part is your job. Yeah. So good. Well, dude, Chris, this has been fantastic. Really, really good stuff. Uh, we're going to get out of here in just a few minutes, but before we do, I wanted to get our last segment of the show. It's time for the famous four. All right, it's time for the famous four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. But before we hear your responses, let's hear from others on what's going on this week on the Bigger Pockets Podcast Network. Hey there, Brandon and Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast listeners. This is Jay Scott, your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. This week on the Business Podcast, we have Nigel Geisinger with us. He is both a real estate expert and a business expert, and he's figured out how to put both of those passions together to create a business model that is absolutely unstoppable and one that works tremendously well in the current economic environment. So check us out on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast this week. Now. Back to your famous four. All right. So make sure you guys are listening to those other podcasts. They are fantastic, full of good ideas that actually help real estate investors as well, like the money and the business and like obviously the the rookie show. Like these things help you as a real estate investor. So make sure you guys are listening to them as well. And now, Chris, number one, 
Do you have a current favorite real estate related book? Yes, a book called The Outsiders. And so it's a book on some of the top CEOs in the world and how they were able to look at themselves as chief investment officers. And that's just a fancy way of saying they understood the value in building a business and cash flow and how to reinvest that back into the market, whether that's real estate or anything else. And so that's what made them the greatest eight CEOs ever. So love the tie in there and it gives the right philosophy on how to look at your business. It's Mm. meant to be utilized as a vehicle to invest. Very cool. That's really, really good. So they look at generating income like this foundation that they built and then investing is how they stack up on top of that. And what made them the greatest CEOs was how wise they invested the money. I'm talking like CEOs of like, GE, different things like that, right? At a real, real high level. So it's not just being a CEO, it's being a CIO, a chief investment officer. And so that's a really powerful thing. I don't know a lot of people realize I didn't until I read that book. That's what made the great CEOs was how they reallocated that money back that they made. Whether they hired new people, they, they bought new materials, they bought new supplies. Businesses, that kind of stuff. invested, yes, how they invested it. Interesting. Okay. What's your favorite business book? I tell you the one I'm going back to now a lot, and it's one of my favorite. It's called Organizational Physics, and uh, it's by Lex Sisney. And the reason I'm going back to it is it takes the laws of physics and applies them to business. So let me say it this way. What Traction did for me in giving me a model on how to run my operations, Organizational Physics gave me a philosophy on how to look at my business as a whole. It was that impactful. I put it up there with traction and what it did for my understanding of business. I love that book. That's awesome. Very cool. Uh, nice question. All right. What are some of your favorite hobbies? <laughs> yeah. So a couple of things I'm into right now is uh, paddle surfing. So it's taking a paddle board out into the ocean and uh, riding waves so you can actually paddle and ride more waves because we don't have really big waves here in Tulum. And then the other thing I've gotten into uh, recently is uh, spearfishing, hmm. which is fun. <laughs> so I've always thought that thing, looked like so much fun. It's one thing to snorkel. It's another to put that mask on with the spear going, I'm actually snorkeling with a mission. I'm, on the, I'm hunting yeah. something under the water. Yeah. That just feels different than swimming around and looking at I tropical. I say that all the time. Thank <laughs> I'm glad someone else gets it. People always say like, would you want to get your pilot's license? And I'm like, eh. like you're just like a bus driver in the air. I would do it if there was like a missile I was shooting at something, right? Like that sounds really fun. What about skydiving? Does that sound like fun? No, you just kind of wait until you hit the ground. But like if there was, I was trying to get in behind enemy lines and I needed a parachute, that would be a blast. Like you're 100% right. When when there's no mission involved in what you're doing, it's not that fun. That's funny. (laughs) That's really funny. All right. That was one of my favorite analogies I think you've used. The The bus driver (laughs) in the air. All right. Last question of the day. From me anyway, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? Lack of clarity in two ways. Um, People don't take the time to understand and get clear on how they're wired, what their unique ability is, their genius zone. And because they don't function uh, in that genius zone, it's always going to hold them back because they're doing things that they're not naturally gifted at doing. And then it's also lack of clarity around opportunities and resources. 
And that goes back to what we were saying is being around the right people, reading the right books um, that present those opportunities. So in my opinion, it really always comes down to a lack of clarity around those two things, myself and the resources that are around me. Yeah, so good. This has been great. I mean, we went into everything from becoming a radio expert to building a big business <laughs> to how to do business in the, the corona age. What, what else your boys want to talk about? That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. The psychology behind masterminds and coaching. There's a lot of good stuff here. Driving a bus in the sky. Oh. <laughs> Love it. Yes, absolutely. Spearfishing. That's something I definitely want to get into at some point. I think that'd be a blast, Brandon, if you could figure out a way to make that happen. They do it out here all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I got a lot of buddies that do it. So we should go. I, I, I would be curious, like, how do you know what to fish to shoot, though? Because I'm sure you don't eat all of them. My deal is I just shoot the biggest one I can find <laughs> and, then, and then figure it that's out later. The, the bigger, that's like, I can kill that. That's big. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Jerry. I thought you were a fish. <laughs> Wearing that bright colored bathing suit. Confused yeah. him under the water. His, his goggles got fogged. Yep. It's rough. All right, Chris, for people anyway. that want to know more, where can they find out more about you? Yeah, a few things. If you just want good free content, right, and just a little bit more about my story and how I do what I do, um, you can go to my YouTube, which is uh, Chris Arnold uh, Real Estate. Um, if you're curious about multipliers um, and want to learn a little bit more about the brotherhood that we've created, that is my passion. That is the hill that I'm willing to die on. I think you guys know the value of community. Um, you can go to the multipliersbrotherhood.com. And of course, if you're interested in this whole radio thing and, hey, I love this, I think this would be a great tool for me, and you want to learn more, you would have to just see if your, your market's even open, but go to wholesalinginc.com forward slash REI radio. Very cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. This has been, uh, this has been amazing. This has been really good. I'm, uh, I've been thinking about doing radio for a while out here in Maui, and now I'm like even more fired up to try it, so... Yeah, appreciate the uh, insight. I really enjoyed it, guys. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a lot of fun and definitely connected. I think we got a lot in common philosophically yeah. and all that. So super cool. Cool. Anything else? Awesome. I don't know. I think that's it. David, you want to take us out? Absolutely. This has been an awesome time. Uh, this is David Green for Chris Arnold and Brandon, the Spear Fisher Turner signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own.
Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.